Well, today we're, we have a betrothal, so uh, like we said, before we actually get in to actually do this, I want to cover some things in the Scripture regarding betrothal. And you hear so many so many people talking about, you know, like Yeshua, and He's coming back for His bride, right? And we talk about Him being the bridegroom, but like, when did God betroth His people? And And when is He coming back for His bride? You know, when are all these things happening? And what does it look like in the Scripture? And I want to show you some some images today and show you some things as we read through the Scripture where God betrothed His people. And, and by His words, He betrothed His people. And today we would just, we would call that a commitment to covenant, but it's kind of like not actually the wedding, but the time in between the engagement, right? We consider ourselves belonging, devoted to one another, but the wedding's not fully here yet, Right? So these are some things that we're looking at, and, and I'm going to show you where Yahweh, in his act of bringing Israel out of Egypt, gave us a picture of a husband betrothing a bride. And then we can carry that over in regarding to Yeshua, our Messiah, and saying he is betrothed for us as well. And on all of us together are one people called by his name to live in his kingdom that he's called us to be set apart. So there's a lot to get into here, okay? Uh, first off, two parts to a, to a traditional wedding. One is the betrothal period and then the wedding itself. Now, in modern times, we just call that an engagement and then the wedding, right? But there is a biblical principle to that. You know, it's not just like you want to get married, okay, and then we do it. You know, there's a time period that's given there, and we see a biblical model that's established in that. So what happens during the betrothal period? Well, traditionally, the groom, he goes to prepare a place for his bride. He wants to make sure that she has a home and a place to be and that they can build a home, build a life together, and to do all these things. So he goes to prepare a place for his bride. The bride is to focus on her personal preparations. This is a time where she's she's preparing herself for the return of her bridegroom, for their life together, and just just waiting in, in anticipation for the time when this is going to happen. But she's preparing her life for him. Okay? So another thing that's interesting, though the bride knew... To expect the groom, she didn't exactly know when. And traditionally speaking, it was the father who told his son, son, okay, look, look at everything, everything's good, everything's ready. Yep, you're good to go, go get your bride, right? Now, with us, we can kind of draw some parallel. How many times you guys get excited for something and you don't fully prepare? You're just excited and you just want to go do what you want to do, right? This is awesome, let's go do that. I say, wait a minute, you got to do this first, <laughs> Right? So this is why the father would say, okay, now you're ready. Go get your bride. He'd say, okay, dad, I got, I got the house built. Are we good? Okay, but you said you were going to have sheep. Yeah, well, do you have a sheep pen? No, well, you need to build that. <laughs> you know, okay, am I ready now, dad? No, no, you got, you got to do this first. There's a process, and this is why it's, it, we see this picture here. So the son didn't even know when it was time for him to go get his bride, but the father. As we go through these things today, I want you to... Pay attention to the details. Pay attention to the, to the imagery that you're going to have. And, and, re, and the relationship that we see as our Messiah in this. Okay? 
The bride kept oil lamps ready at all times, just in case the groom came at night because she didn't know when he was coming. And the sounding of the shofar, the ram's horn, the sounding of the shofar would be proclaimed, that would shout out the sound of the shofar you heard today. It's not something that's small and quiet, right? This is something that was loud. And if you're going through the streets of the city, it kind of echoes through the city. So it's an amazing thing to, to, to hear and experience. So it, as you'd hear the, the sound of the shofar and then, and then the best man, what we would call the best man, would make proclamation saying, hey, the bridegroom is coming. Get ready. Prepare yourself. Prepare the way. Get ready. We're going to have the wedding and the shofar is sounding. And it was this big, loud occasion. So the bride and the, would, would prepare and make sure she had the oil lamps that were ready so they could go whenever the bridegroom came for her. So many things we see, like I said, many images. One, we can say Yeshua is our bridegroom and he, we are the bride. Some things we see in this. John 14, 3 says, I go and prepare a place for you and I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. This is another picture of, okay, the betrothal period and then when he returns to claim his bride to bring, bring to himself. Mark 13, 32 and 33, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father. So be on guard and keep away, for you do not know when that time will come. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, for the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and the blast of God's shofar. Then the dead Messiah will rise first. So again, the proclamation and the shouting and the shofar and all these things going forward when our Messiah returns to claim his bride. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, go back to read, but the emphasis we're going here is verses 5 through 7, where it says, so while the bridegroom was taking a long time, they got all drowsy and they started to fall asleep. You know the story about the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. People always want to focus on the fact that five were wise and five foolish, but you know, at the, at, at the beginning of the story, they were all asleep, right? So what happens? In the middle of the night, there was a shout. This word shout is often related to the sound of a shofar. Trua is what would be the word in Hebrew. And Trua is a shout. It's a cry of the shofar. It's something that's loud. It would definitely waken you. So this shout goes forward. It says, the bridegroom has come. Come out to meet him. And then all the verses, they got up, they trimmed their lamps, and they, they, they were ready to go out, ready to meet him. Matter of fact, 11 times bridegroom is mentioned in the New Testament. 11 times the bridegroom is mentioned in the New Testament. Most of these times, it's talking about Yeshua coming for his bride. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, we're given a relationship between husbands and, and, and wives and the relationship between the Messiah and his church, his people. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives just as the Messiah loved his community, indeed gave himself up on its behalf in order to set it apart for God, making it clean through immersion in the mikvah, so to speak, in order to present them to himself as a bride to be proud of without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but wholly without defect. As husbands, it is our responsibility to protect and lay down our lives for our bride, to make sure that she has what she needs to live a life that she's supposed to live. We equip her to do what God has called her to do. Revelation 19, 7 through 9 says, Let us rejoice and be glad. Let us give him the glory for the time has come for the wedding of the lamb and the bride has prepared herself. Fine linen, bright and clean, has been given her to wear. Fine linen is the righteousness of God's people. And the angel came and said, Right, how blessed are those who have been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are God's very words. So I wanted to point this out to you. So as we go back and we read some of these scriptures, we see prophetic imagery as well, not just stories or not just some things that are given there. Okay? So what are some of the steps for the wedding? And again, I want you to keep this in mind as we go through these scriptures. The dowry... The mohar, that, that's the dowry. This is a purchase or a redemption price. This is a price that was given to the bride. Again, 
for her good, for her betterment, to equip that what was given here. And then the promise. These are, these are the vows. Then it's written as a ketubah. Ketubah is from the word ketav, which means to write. So this is the written agreement. You know, today, what, this would be related similar to like a, like a wedding license. Okay, this is just something that you would have in writing to, to let's just say, make it legal. <laughs> okay, this is, this is a formal decree. That way we can all witness it. You can't come back later and say, well, I never said that. Yep, you did. Right there. <laughs> Which is why they have this beautiful ketubah back here. I really do like that, guys. That's, that's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And that's why it's hung up in the home. In other words, the very words given to us for our commitment of covenant are to be prominently displayed in our lives and in our homes. Not just for us, but for anyone else to know. And then the chupa is the covering. And then the cup that was given, the, the, the covenant meal that's followed through is the cup. And then the blessings and the decree of, of the, the, the proclamation of the wedding itself. Okay, These are the steps that I want you to keep in mind as we go through pictures of Mount Sinai. You know, a lot of times when we think about what happened at Mount Sinai, if we're just thinking about it, many times we just think about this really, just this really calm, peaceful kind of occasion. I'm telling you, it didn't happen that way. Uh, matter of fact, the people said when they heard a vo- the voice of Yahweh, it said that, that, that his voice had got louder and louder. And there was a shofar that was sounding louder and louder, so loud that it shook the earth. And there was black clouds and thunder and lightning and then the voices and everything, and the trembling. And the people were scared. So much so they said, we can't stand to hear the voice of God. We will back off. Moses, you go tell us what God says and then tell us what he said so that we can follow it. So this idea of, of being at the mountain to hear the voice of God as he's entering into this, the people are supposed to be entering into this relationship personally with him. And they said, wait a minute, no, we can't stand to hear this. We hear the voice of God anymore. We're going to die. Moses, we sent someone. What we like, Let's just kind of relate this to kind of like a best man kind of thing. You go get the message for us and bring it to us. And then we'll, then we'll follow through that. Okay. So picture some of this imagery as we go through. Exodus 19. 1 through 11. So in the third month after the people of Israel had left the land of Egypt, the same day they came to the Sinai Desert. After setting out from Rephidim, arriving at Sinai Desert, they set up camp in the desert there in front of the mountain. Israel set up camp. Moshe went up to God and Adonai called him from the mountain. And he said, here is what you were to say to the household of Yaakov to tell the people of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will pay careful attention to what I say and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all the people for all the earth is mine. And you will be a kingdom of priests for me, a nation set apart. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. And Adonai came, summoned the leaders of the people, and presented them with these words, which Adonai had, or Moshe came, summoned the leaders of the people, and presented them with all these words that Adonai had ordered them to say. And all the people answered as one, everything that Adonai has said, we will do. And Moshe reported the words of the people to Adonai. Notice this framing of covenant back and forth and back and forth, and even the I do, right? Okay. Verse 9, Adonai said to Moshe, See, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud so that the people will not be able to hear, or will not be able to hear when I speak with you or to uh, also trust in you forever. Moshe had also told Adonai what the people had said. So Adonai said to Moshe, Go to the people today and tomorrow. Separate them for me by having them wash their clothing. Prepare for the third day, for on the third day Adonai will come down on Mount Sinai before the eyes of all the people. Exodus 19.5. So when we go to this and he says, so now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, interesting phrasing that is used here because you can see kind of marriage terminology that's being used here. The Hebrew literally reads where it says, if you will obey me, literally reads, hear my voice. 
That's all he's asking us to do. If you will hear my voice. Right? So what does it mean to hear his voice? That we hear with the intent of working with what we have heard. We receive what was heard, take it to heart so that we can live it. And this is what he's saying here to us as, us as his people. If you hear my voice, in other words, walk with me. See, Yeshua would have said this way, follow me. That's what we're looking at here. Okay. John 10, 26 to 28 says, You believe not because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. And it means to hear his voice, to walk with him, to, to be obedient to him. And I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So what we see here is pictures now where Yahweh betrothes his bride. In Exodus 19, 4 through 6, he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagle's wings, brought you to myself. If you will pay careful attention to me, then you will be my own special treasure. The word here is segulah. Segulah, that's used here for special treasure. Now, the Hebrew word segulah means something that you value and prize as a, as a possession so much that you protect it. Okay, this is not just something that you like set up on a mantle and say, isn't that pretty? No, this is something that you value so much, you put it in a safe place to keep anything from happening to it. You want to guard it, you want to protect it, you want to keep it. And that's what segula is. This is what the, the Yahweh calls for us. You will be a kingdom of Kohanim for me, a nation set apart. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. 1 Peter 2.9 says, For you are a, a chosen people, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you could show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Again, chosen people, royal priests, holy nation, his own possession, these are the same things that go with Segula that we just saw in, in Exodus. Titus 2.14 says, He gave us life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For you are a holy people who belong to Yahweh your God. Of all the people of the earth, Yahweh your God has chosen you to be his special treasure. See that? So all of things, this is what he's called, to have that special relationship with you. So in verses 4 through 11, we see here Yahweh proposes, so to speak. He says, all the people say, I do, when he proposes. And then he says, to prepare for his coming. How? Washing their clothing like a mikvah. That's what we would call a baptism. It's a mikvah. It's a process of cleansing. It's a declaration of things that has happened in our life. It's passing from one stage to another, from death to life, and we're ready for a change in our life. A new chapter, a new season is about to begin. He says, don't come near a woman. This is issues of ritual cleanliness, okay? Not to be extreme, but it is in the scripture. If you were, if you were intimate, then for a time period, you were unclean. So he was telling all Israel to abstain for three days because I'm coming to meet with you. I want us to be prepared because I want you to come close to me. Okay? And then he says, prepare for the third day. A lot in Scripture in regards to the third day, guys. There's a lot in there if you want to take a further look at it. Revelation 3.5 says that he that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will blot out his name of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. What are we looking at? Overcoming white Raymond, see that? To you who overcomes, you, you're not supposed to just live in this world. You're supposed to overcome this world. We do so in Him. And He who overcomes will be given the white raiments. Again, pictures of uh, imagery of, of weddings and marriage. First Timothy 5.22, lay, uh, lay hands hastily on no one, neither be a participant in other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. Again, keeping ourselves pure for the one that we are in covenant 
with. That's what we're looking at there. Luke 3, 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. We're living our lives in preparation for our King. Yes, we do this every day. We're walking with his presence every day, but yet we still await his coming, right? So every day we're walking through this. So the betrothal of the bride and the shadows at Sinai, as we go through those, like I said, you get to see these in pictures as, as, we're, as we're working through this. Our betrothal. Hosea 2, 19 and 20, you can see things where Yahweh says He betrothes His people. Things that relate to us. Okay, so things that we can t- take hold of Scripture where our God said that He betrothes us as His people. Isaiah 2, 9, 9, 19 and 20. Isaiah 54, 5. And Deuteronomy 29, 10 through 15 are some things that we see. And, and Hosea 2, 19 and 20, it says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in grace, and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know Adonai. So part of this betrothal is to know the one that we are betrothed to. He is our king, and he is the one that we have this personal relationship with. As well, Hosea 2.16, right before the one we just read, says, And it shall be that day when says Yahweh, you shall call me Ishi, and you will no longer call me Baali. What's the significance of this, of this scripture, of this verse? That my phone's going off. That's what that means. <laughs> Give me a minute. All right. I know. <laughs> so what's the significance of this verse? It doesn't, at first reading, it doesn't really seem to make sense, right? But if you look in the Hebrew, it does give us a distinction and a difference of what's happening here. Okay, what's happening here? It says, "In that day, says Yahweh, you will no longer call, or, or you will call me Ishi, and you will not call me Baali." So, what's Baali? The Hebrew word Baal, many people translate as idols or other things. In that, the word Baal really just means ruler, master, someone who is in a place of authority. Okay. Well, we admit Yahweh is is a place of authority here, right? He rules in our life, right? But it's also given like a formal a formal place of relationship. In other words, in a, in, in a husband and wife relationship, this would be translated as husband, right? Now, how many of you ladies call your husband husband? Literally. Now, you may have many names for him, but husband, as you're speaking to him, is generally not one of them, right? So this would be like you going to and dressing him husband, okay? You get the picture, but now picture this. He says, you will call me Ishi. Ish is the word for man. Ishi is, a, is, is possessive, means for me. So Ishi literally means my man. <laughs> she got it. <laughs> so we're talking about relationship. It's not a matter of Yahweh, he is my husband. No, He is the one that I adore. He is the one that I long to be with. He is, he is my everything. He is the one that I am in relationship with. And it's personal. Okay, It's not formal, it's personal. And that's what this is telling us. Again, pictures of the husband and the bride. Romans 9.25 As indeed, as He says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. Her who was not loved, I will call loved. The world does not want to receive you. Yahweh receives you. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17. What agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will house myself in them. I will walk among you and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, Adonai says, go out from their midst, separate yourselves, don't touch what is unclean, and I myself will receive you. You can't serve two masters. You can't have two husbands. (laughs) Right? So we serve one. 
We don't have, you know, what, what agreement can the world have with you having a relationship with the Father? You are a place for Him to dwell. He lives in you. And so we live as a relationship set apart to Yahweh our God. Hebrews 8.10. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Adonai. I will put my Torah in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Guys, this is quoting Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34 where he says this entering a covenant place of relationship is God will dwell in us and he will place his word in our hearts. Write it within us. Not just words on a page or just something on a scroll. He will literally put his words inside you. And the only way that happens is if he is in there. And so he writes his words on our heart. And that's again a place of covenant and a place of relationship. Isaiah 54, 5 and 6 Your husband is your maker. How much more clear can you be? Your husband is your maker. Adonai Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. And he will be called God of all the earth. For Adonai has called you back like a wife, abandoned and grief-stricken. A wife married in her youth cannot be rejected, says your God. He is your husband. He is the one you are in covenant relationship with, and he is the one who draws you to himself and does not reject you. Isaiah 61.10, I am joyful in Adonai. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me in salvation, dressed me with a robe of triumph, like a bridegroom wearing a festive turban, like a bride adorned for her jewels. See this, when we enter into covenant relationship with Yahweh, he changes you and then changes your covering. Again, wedding images. Wedding imagery. Isaiah 62, 5. As a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, your God will rejoice over you. Deuteronomy 29, 10-15. At the mountain, this is the next generation who's about to go into the promise, go into the land. And Moshe is telling the people, uh, what to, these are the things that you need to remember when you're going into the land. These are the things you need to remember going into this new life that you are going to live. Everything that you've ever known is about to change. You're going to be new as you go into the land. And these are things I want you to remember. It says, Today you are standing, all of you, before Adonai your God, the heads of your tribes, your leaders, your officers, all the men of Israel, along with your little ones, your wives, your foreigners who are here in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water. The purpose is that you should enter into covenant of Adonai your God and into an oath which Adonai your God is making with you today. So he's going to establish you today for himself as a people. He's not going to establish you as his people if you do not make the, make the proclamation that you will follow him, right? We need, to, we need to make sure that we are saying, I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm going to live for this new covenant relationship, right? You can't enter into a covenant and then not live in according to the covenant. You uphold the covenant. You keep the covenant. And that's evident in your life, and others are going to see that. So, so you can establish today as a people so that you will be for you, he will be God. And as he said to you, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I am not making this covenant and this oath only with you, but rather I am making it with both him who is standing with us here today, but I don't know God, but also him who is not here with us today. He's saying, I'm making this covenant with you as a people right here, right now, but this covenant will also be lasting and extended for all, for all time for all those who enter into covenant with me. So again, look at these pictures and these things that are given. Let's break it down quickly. 
the dowry, the purchase, the redemption. The redemption. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, you know, the, Yahweh called Moshe at the burning bush to go and, and tell the people, make the proclamations, do these things in Mitzrayim, in, in Egypt, that Yahweh is about to deliver you. He's about to redeem you. He's about to do these things. Well, their act of coming out of Egypt, God said, is an act of redemption. And we see that in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 7. Four different ways that we see redeeming involving and taking place. I will free you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from the oppressions. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm of great judgments, and I will take you as my people. There's four different things that are included in your redemption that God has shown us. So he, he's not just saying, okay, you're free. No, he's seeing to it and establishing it that you can live fully in this place of covenant he is calling you into. And he says, when I bring you out, I'm redeeming you. That's, that's where we can say, I am not my own. I am bought with a price. We don't belong to us anymore. We belong to, to him. And so we live according to that relationship. Vows, we see in Exodus 19, 4 through 6. You've seen, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. I carried you on eagle's wings, brought you to myself. If you pay careful attention to what I say, keep my covenant. You will be my own treasure among the people, and you will be a kingdom of priests set apart. These are the words you say to the people of Israel. It's declaring the new place that they are together in the relationship. The ketubah, the ketubah is the name of the traditional marriage certificate. And again, ketubah literally means something that is written from the word ketav. It's to write, okay? The ketubah details the groom's commitment, responsibilities, and provision. We have this when uh, Moshe brought down the ten words from the mountain to give to the people of Israel. Exodus 31.18, when he had finished speaking with Moshe on Mount Sinai, Adonai gave him the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. The ring, the ring is a symbol of covenant. It's not a covenant itself. It's a symbol of covenant. Much like we see a symbol of covenant with Yahweh means we live different. We see Exodus 31.13 says, Tell the people of Israel, you are to observe my Shabbats. This is a sign. See this? The Sabbath is a sign. And it's the same word used there that we would use for like a wedding ring. It's a sign that I don't belong to me. I belong to someone else. And so it is a sign between me and you through all your generations so that you will know I am Adonai who sets you apart for me. So what he's saying is it is a sign that you will know that you're mine. And so this is working in our relationship there. The hoopah, as they were coming to the mountain, the hoopah that was covered in cloud. Even as they went through the wilderness, it was cloud by day, fire by night, right? And the cloud was what protected them as from, from the heat of the day, just for 40 years. And at the mountain, they had this cloud cover in there. It's a hoopah. It's a covering of, of, of Yahweh. And it symbolizes, even the hoopah they have here, symbolizes the home that the couple will build together. One of the things you'll see when we bring it out, so it's open on all sides, and this is to testify of hospitality. Open to testify like Abraham and Sarah, saying, you know, people are welcome as they, they show the goodness of Yahweh to those who come by, and just welcoming their friends and family to their home. Exodus 24.15 says, The Moshe went up to the mountain, and the cloud had covered the mountain. Again, the hoopah is a covering. In Isaiah 4, 5, and 6, we see a picture of the hoopah and a sukkah. What's a sukkah? Sukkah is like, the, you may have heard the Feast of Tabernacles. That's a sukkah. Okay, so during the time of tabernacles, you build a sukkah and you dwell in it for the period of eight days, right? Seven days you dwell in the eight days, the uh, new beginning, Shemini Atzeret, new beginning, new seasons, the eighth day of assembly. And the whole idea behind Sukkot, 
The festival is that we learn to dwell with the presence of God. We learn to dwell with his presence together. And so that's one of the things we see here. Well, in Isaiah 4, 5, and 6 says, Then Adonai will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her convocations. In other words, the entire place of the whole mountain in Israel. There will be a cloud by day and smoke is shining a flaming fire by night. For over all, glory will be a canopy. The word canopy is chuppah. The same thing that we see at Mount Sinai, the same thing that we see in a wedding, a covering over the bride and the groom. It says, and there will be a sukkah, that's the, tip, that's the tabernacle given. So it will be a sukkah for shade by day from the heat, for the refuge, the shelter, and from storm and from rain. That's good to have in Florida, right? <laughs> so what about the cup, the covenant meal, the cup? Well, the blood covenant declared there at the mountain as well. Exodus 24, verses 3-8 through eight says, Moses came and he told the people everything that Adonai had said, including the rulings. The people answered with one voice, We will obey every word that Adonai has spoken. So Moshe wrote down all the words of Adonai. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the base of the mountain. He set upright 12 large stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent the youth group out to do the burnt offerings, which he did. <laughs> young people, it's not just literally young men. Literally, it's the young, young boys. So he sent them out to go gather these things together to do these burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to Adonai. And then what do you do with a peace offering? Well, as you bring the peace offering to the Lord, it goes up on the altar. But then guess what happens? You get portions of that back that you're supposed to eat in his presence. Literally what's happening as you bring a peace offering to the Lord, you are eating from the table of God and you are eating with him and being in his presence and being at peace. So what happens here? They have this, they have this, these offerings and they have these declarations, all these things that are going on. And then Moshe took half of the blood. He put it in basins. The other half of the blood he splashed against the altar. He took the book of the covenant and he read it aloud so that all the people could hear. And they responded everything that Adonai has spoken. We will do and obey. Moshe took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which Adonai has made with you in accordance with all these words. Where else have we heard this phrase? This is the blood of the covenant. Take and drink. Yeshua. On the night before, he was to go and, and lay his life down. We see same pictures of all these things that are happening there. So he goes, this is the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all these words. So pictures of the blood and the covenant and the words of life all being established together there. So what happens? Then went up Moses, Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. First time that phrase is used, the God of Israel, by the way, and it's just after they had declared covenant. So they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were the body of heaven in its, in its clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he, and he, he didn't lay out his hand, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. How amazing to see this amazing picture. You put yourself there, you see, like you didn't see, but they saw like his feet standing on like sapphire pavement to literally know you're in the presence of God. You're like, hey, I'm hungry, you want to go get a burger? What's happening here? What do you think they ate? They just made peace offerings. They ate from the peace offerings and the declaration of the covenant that they had with Yahweh. They did burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And, and literally as they proclaimed the covenant, they are now in the presence of Yahweh and they are partaking of a covenant meal in his presence. Amazing pictures we have. And then the blessings. We see pictures of, of, uh, of the gifts, the things that were given. Like the, the, the husband gives the bride gifts. They're given gifts here. Well, like this. Exodus 23, Yahweh will protect you, go before you, and lead you to the promise. Verse 30, God will be an enemy to your enemies. Verses 22 and 23, the Lord will prosper you. Verses 25, 
God will take sickness away from you, verse 25. You will not die before your appointed time, verse 26. You will increase and inheritance will be yours, verse 30. And you will grow and take possession of the promise, verse 29. These are all blessings and promises, gifts from God to us. As well as we can see in Acts 1.8, it says you will receive power when the Holy Ghost, the Ruach HaKodesh, comes upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Yerushalayim and in all Yehuda and the Shimon and indeed till the ends of the earth. Again, gifts, he will equip you with his presence to carry with you. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says, Now there are various kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, the same Ruach. There are various kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are various kinds of working, but the same God who works in all things. But to each person is given the manifestation of the Ruach for the benefit of all. To each person, he individually gives gifts to you that you need in your life to help you and those around you. And that's part of the gifts that he gives to all of us. The day that he came and went to the mountain was 50 days from the time they came out of, of Egypt. This was the Feast of Weeks. This was on Shavuot, also known as Pentecost. And so what are the, what are the proclamation that was done on that day? Exodus 19, 3-6, Moshe went up to God and Adonai called to him. He proclaimed on this day from the mountain. Here's what you're to say to the house of Yaakov and to tell the people of Israel. What is it? You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. They oppressed you, but I set you free. I delivered you. I brought you to myself into a place of covenant and brought you here to this mountain. If you will pay careful attention to what I say and keep my covenant, you will be my own treasure from among all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you will be a kingdom of Kohanim for me, a nation set apart. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. So what are some of the things that we're waiting for? You know, you can see kind of, as we're going through this, you can kind of see like this is a wedding kind of things that are going on. So where do we see some of this in, in the life of Yeshua? Two more scriptures for you, and we'll move, and we'll move into our actual, uh, what we came here today for. Yohanan, John, referred to Yeshua as the bridegroom, and he referred to himself as a proclaimer of he that is coming. He said, he proclaimed to Yeshua as the bridegroom and kind of said of himself that he's his best man. What did he say about this? John 3, 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the best man rejoices when he stands and hears the bridegroom's voice. So now my joy is complete. He must increase while I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. And the one who was from the earth is of the earth. And, the one, and of the earth he speaks. And the one who comes, comes from heaven is above all. He kept proclaiming regarding of Yeshua saying, this is the bridegroom. And I hear his voice. And guess what, guys? He is here. Get ready. Your life is going to change. Again, what do we see here? Revelation 19, 7, 8, ultimately the day that we're all looking at and waiting for. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And she was given fine linen to wear, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the Kedoshim, of the holy ones. Again, when we enter into covenant with him, everything changes. Everything is new and life is different. And we now live in accordance with this covenant that we have made our dedication to. And that's one of the things that we see today in, uh, in, in the life of, of, we have many lives that are going to change today. So we're going to be as witnesses to that fact. Okay. So with going through all of these, I hope you can see some of the things that we're about to do and see the biblical basis for all of this and to see pictures of what God has called you to as well.